Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast dedicated to the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm your host, Stephanie, and today I'm joined by Danielle and Jocelyn to talk about all things horror film adaptation. So welcome to the show. Hi. Hello, thank you so much. Thanks for having us. This is so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> I am so excited to talk about this. I've been wanting to do an episode on this for a long time, and it's something I know people have a lot of opinions on. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> so when it comes to adaptation, are you, are either of you, like, book purists? No. No, not at all. No. <laughs> I have a lot of uh, opinions about this, actually, because I have a screenwriting degree, so okay. I had to think about this a lot. And um, my general philosophy when it comes to adaptations is that they they don't have to be one-to-one remakes of their source material. And in fact, that can actually hurt the adaptation if they try to be one-to-one remakes. Um, so for me, I really think um, what what matters is that the adaptation is true to the spirit of the source material and um, and that it does it does it justice in that way. I agree. Um, yeah, that's one of those things. I feel like people always assume like I feel like there was that meme going around like the book is better and they made the shirts like the book is always better. And I'm like, I don't know that that's true. No. And I'm not like someone who's going to be super upset if people take liberties there have been a few times i have had experiences where i left the theater that was like what in the world was that mm-hmm. that was not even <laughs> did we even read the same book mm-hmm. <laughs> that always makes think, it worse yeah i think with me mine was um like the movie adaptation of my sister's keeper <gasps> yes that oh was, my I think, gosh. like, the angriest I have ever been. Yes. <laughs> Where I'm like, there was a whole a whole plot point that you just, like, took out and gave to somebody else, and now that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. There's mm. no meaning to the story now. It took away the gut punch of that movie. Yes. And of the book. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and I was just so mad. <laughs> I think my other one, and a lot of people like this one, is um, The Lovely Bones. Oh, yeah, The Lovely Bones. I like them about the same. I don't know. I just, I think for me, like, what I liked was the, like, was the meditations on grief and, like, the idea of grief and this family moving on. And I felt like the filmmakers just wanted to do a big heaven sequence. And I'm like, yeah, it's cool and psychedelic, but that's not what I liked. (laughs) They went for style over substance, absolutely. Yes. And I'm mad that they made Stanley Tucci a child molester oh. killer. Oh, my Lord. I mean, oh, I know. I say that like they put a gun to his head and like made him do this. Like he didn't like he didn't audition for this role. Right. Right. And he didn't get paid like a lovely amount of you money. You have to be a creep, Stanley. <laughs> Sorry. No other choices. Uh. They just had like a dart and they threw it on the wall and it landed on his head. And that's who it had to be. Uh. But it is a great testament to how incredible that man is. Like, what an incredible talent he is, you know? That we're still okay with him. Yeah, right. Yeah, right? He redeemed himself. He would be great to see in some horror adaptations, too, I think. Oh, I I agree. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He hasn't really done that, has he? I don't think so. Not really. Yeah, nothing's really coming to mind. I don't think so. 
So if either of you had experiences like that with an adaptation, that's like not necessarily horror. <laughs> oh, man. Well, now my brain is kind of failing me. I want to say My Sister's Keeper was mine because the book wrecked me. Yes. And then I saw it in theaters and I was so mad. My husband was like, did you cry in the theater? I'm like, no, I wanted to swear at the screen. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> Which was funny because I remember reading like the Q&As in the back with Jody Pico and she said like my son read it and was so angry at me for the turn that this book takes and I told him there is no other way for the story to go. It is the way the story has to go and I'm like well Hollywood didn't get that note. <laughs> yeah oh yeah no they you know frequently they do not that's the truth. And Time Tra- Traveler's Wife was another one that I think I liked the book a lot more. I haven't read the book, so how is it? It's been a while since I've read it, but I just getting into the head more of the husband. I like that aspect a lot more, where you just you don't get to see that as much in film because it's hard to show inner workings. Yeah, and then I found for some reason with the sh- movie, it really highlighted like he knew her from when she was a little girl, but she didn't know yet who he was, and that. Yeah, I didn't like that quite as much to see versus when I read it. <laughs> like, this is making me think about some things I don't want to. I don't exactly. want to consider. <laughs> I have maybe one that's kind of weird. Um, the Martian for me, because I actually listened to the audiobook of The Martian, and I'm pretty sure it was just one reader, and he was incredible. He gave so much life to every character. And I thought he did a much better job at it than most of the people who acted in that adaptation. Oh, wow. So I I liked the movie. Like, the movie's great. But there's just something about that audiobook that it it was one of the best audiobook experiences of my life. And I just fell in love with it. So I was actually pretty disappointed by the adaptation. I heard a lot of people really like the audiobook. I only saw the movie. It's been on my big shelf of books I bought after watching the movie because I want to read the book now and it's still just sitting there unread. Oh, yeah. Does that affect either of you guys? Like when a movie is announced that's on your TBR, like do you try to get it read before it comes out? I do. Because if I don't before it comes out, the chances of me reading after I've seen the movie are really slim. That's a good point, Danielle, actually. Like if I watch the movie, I might be less likely to read the book after. But I actually like to read the book after I watch a movie a little bit better than I do the other way around. Because for me, um, there's still much more to explore in a book. When you read the book, most of the time the adaptation is going to be, you know, it's going to have most of what was in the book in it. There are usually less surprises. And if there are surprises, they're more likely to be disappointing to you. Um, But if I read the book after, I tend to be more surprised and delighted And it feels more like, um, I don't know, a a new experience as opposed to consuming the same content in a different format. I never thought about it that way. I kind of like that. Yeah. (laughs) I do, because I'm always the type of person where I just don't feel as motivated to pick it up. Where I'm like, I already know what happens. So why am I going to do it? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And then I do like going into the theater like, knowing and saying like oh okay so I know what's coming next okay no wait so I know okay so I see what they did here and I try not to be that annoying person that's like okay in the book <laughs> like in the movie theater. 
oh, there's that's impossible not to be that person, though. If you've read the book, like, you're just bursting, right? You're like, oh, I know what's going to happen. Right. Which is why when they do a bad job of adapting it, you're like, no. That's, yeah. that's oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so are we ready to get into this? Oh, this was hard. This was honestly, it was a it was a task. It was hard. It was fun to revisit. Yeah, I enjoyed that. It was a good excuse. I revisited a few things. I didn't revisit my bad choices. Oh, um, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, just to have like more details as to why I didn't like them. Okay, so we are splitting this up into categories. First category we are talking about is adaptations that were as good as the books. So for my first one, I picked The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina based on the graphic novel by Roberto Aguirre Sacasa. I probably butchered that name and I apologize. Um, Just gotta go for it. Right? (laughs) I like them both the same because while the comic book was a lot darker, I found, like in subject, in tone, in even like illustrations, the show took the heart of it and kind of made it a little bit lighter. So a bit probably more like palatable to more people. Um, I know mm-hmm. it's, it was, like, a Netflix original, but it definitely made me think of, like, they, like, the CW shows, like, Riverdale and stuff. Mm-hmm. They kind of did that twist on it. So I kind of like that, like, if you wanted the, to go into the darker, moodier aspect, you could pick up the graphic novel. And if you wanted kind of the same idea, but lighter, more teen, like, oriented, you could watch the show. And then the few changes they did in the show, I thought in were were well done like they added more backstory for some of the characters they expanded some of the characters roles and they changed what happened to certain characters like without spoilers like something bad that happened to one character ended up happening to a sibling or to a different character so they could grow those characters more i really really like that part of it um and just the vintage vibe of the show was my jam I loved it. Mm, I love that you couldn't quite tell what era it was in because they didn't like there wasn't really technology, but there wasn't a lack of it either kind of thing. Like there wasn't like it wasn't clearly in like the 50s or anything like that. But the clothes and the music kind of harkened back to that like earlier vibe, whereas the book, I'm pretty sure takes place somewhere in the 50s or 60s. Um, and it brings in, the book brings in some of the, like, Riverdale characters, which was kind of cool. Um, there's, like, a whole other layer of, like, where Madam Satan comes from in the comic books. And, like, Sabrina's history, her parent, her, like, parents' history and all that is, is quite different in the books. But, yeah, I thought the adaptation was just a really good job of keeping that whole spooky vibe, but making it a bit less horror. So that would appeal to, like, a broader range of people. And I thought they did a really good job with it. I agree. And I think that might have been one I watched the series first, if I'm remembering right. And then it was a nice surprise to pick up the graphic novel and see, like, oh, they went darker. Like, oh, they straight up killed someone. That's still alive oh, yeah. in the show. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, it. I did the same thing. I watched the show first and then picked up the graphic novel. And I loved both of them. They're great. Yeah. And I think it helped that the author of the graphic novel also did, like, the, the writing for the show versus mm-hmm. like having someone else do it so i think it really did help keep them similar that way mm-hmm. absolutely mm-hmm. so uh, my first one that i picked for this category is the 
2019 adaptation of Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, directed by Andre Overidal, based on the Alvin Schwartz short story collections of our youths. Uh, that I think most people know and love, I hope. Um, but I just thought this was an incredibly inventive approach to an adaptation. They did a great job at coming up with a cohesive through plot that tied together some of the most classic stories from the collections. And I thought it was scary and fun and heartfelt and incredibly entertaining. And it filled me with the same kind of like adrenaline and excitement that I felt as a kid when I read the short stories. And it also made me happy to think that maybe this film is passing that enjoyment and love of horror along to the next young generation of horror lovers. So I, I really enjoyed this adaptation. I was really impressed by it. And um, I think they're making a second one. And I really hope they do because there's so many good stories to explore in oh, those yeah. three books. I loved it. Mm-hmm. I still haven't seen it, but those books were an absolute staple. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, like spooky oh, kids. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I loved it. Um, Del Toro had something to do with to do with the movie adaptation, I think, as well. That would make sense because it definitely has his his mark on it. Mm-hmm. You know, it like definitely has his vibe. The monster design or like the creature design from what I saw seemed great. So Oh, yeah. it's wonderful. Yeah. It's terrifying, but wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those ones I can't wait to show to my son when he's a bit old. Yes. Yes, exactly. Like that's the feel, right? Like the that like warmth that us horror lovers get when we consume stuff like this, it just like hits the spot. Like yes. it it did that, which I'm going to be honest, I wasn't expecting much from it when I went in because it's kind of a weird thing to attempt, but I mean, they nailed it. I loved it. And it was fun too. It was just a really fun movie watching mm-hmm. experience. Okay, so my first pick is maybe a bit controversial. But it is the 2008 The Ruins, based on the book The Ruins by Scott Smith. (laughs) And I think it works because Scott Smith wrote the script for the movie. Mm. So I feel Mm -hmm. like a lot of things transferred over really well, even though if you're looking at the book and the movie, he switched around a lot of plots between characters. So like something that happens to this character actually happens to this character. And like the ending is different. So you can watch the movie and go into the book and have a very different experience. I was like, the only thing is that there's like a tiny bit more psychological horror in the novel. I won't say like what it is, but it definitely messes with the group a little more in the book. And you have like a little bit more of that. But I feel like it makes up for it in the intensity and the body horror there's like really good practical effects which like this was the aughts and like this was kind of when cgi was seeping into everything and the fact that like they still stuck to like really good practical effects yes it's so good and this is also like a really good example of daylight horror like so much Mm. of what happens is just in the middle of the day that's a good point because that's not you know normally that isn't scary like people don't do that very often but you're right it works really well. CGI, there's only like one tiny scene where I was like, eh, like I don't like that. That hasn't aged that well. <laughs> and out of the whole movie, that's not that bad. It's not bad. But I also feel like a complaint people have about the book and the movie is that the characters are annoying and whiny. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I would just like to reiterate that these characters are in a high stress mm. situation. Mm-hmm. And this is because I relate to A.B., Jenna Malone's character in the movie, (laughs) 
And watching it this time, I'm realizing this is all happening while she is hungover. Yes. So I'm like, it's this awful. poor girl. <laughs> this <Yes>. poor woman. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just imagine doing anything hungover and then imagine going for a hike in the heat in an unknown terrain. Like, absolutely not. Yeah. Technically, like, she kind of gets them into the spot where they're in because of, like, one mistake that she made. But you know what? Everyone I feel like we can let that go. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone makes mistakes, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's, like, one scene um, when they get off the Jeep, like, on the way to the ruins, and she just looks so out of it. And she's like, no one said anything about a hike. And I'm like, that is me on any vacation. <laughs> just screen screen grab that, because that is my <laughs> eternal vacation mood. Right. No one said anything about a hike. <laughs> that has to be told before you do the drinking that leads to the hangover. Mm-hmm. Yes, it needs to be disclosed. Yeah. Oh, man. Um. So that is my first pick. The 2008 The Ruins. It's on Prime right now, if anyone wants to catch it. Right, so my second pick for the category is both versions of Pet Cemetery. Ooh, yes. wow. Both okay. versions. Okay, so I have to say Pet Cemetery wasn't my favorite Stephen King. I haven't read a lot of him, and I'm slowly working my way through his ridiculously large catalog. But I find him wordy. He can be very oh, yeah. wordy, and I find it can drag a story on. And I find both versions do a good job of, like, paring that down to make it That's true. into, you know, a movie that moves at a decent pace and i know a lot of people didn't like the newer one and i saw that before i saw the the 1989 version so i kind of like colored a little bit how i saw it um but so for the older one the 1989 version i liked it because i know king did the screenplay for it and i think it shows again because like it stays really true to the book for the like the main big plot points obviously um you do, again, lose that whole inner turmoil of the character, like what that kind of loss, like the loss of a child would do to a parent, because I don't think that's a spoiler, because it's really well known <laughs> about the book. Um, yeah. And to me, that's what made the book a scarier read is, mm-hmm. and I'm pretty sure I read it when my son was like maybe two or three years old. Oh, wow. So maybe not the greatest timing, but like that definitely added to the that was what was scarier to me than the actual pet cemetery aspect of it. Um, so that is like, that's why I put them as, as good as where they like the movies take the better physical scary thing of it. And they tighten the story up. And I think Judd is great in both. John Lithgow did a great job in the newer one. Um, but you do lose the inner thing. And for the newer version, I liked some of the changes they made to like the big change. Um, and maybe that's more of the visual of the daughter versus the son a lot. Ellie, Ellie versus gauge because of the age difference. And I liked that the wife's background story was a bit more fleshed out in the newer one. Found a I bit, agree with a that. A bit more about her yeah. relationship with her sister. And I really, I like that because in the first one, and even in the book, you kind of understand where she's coming from, but there's like, you're like, okay, it seems like maybe more of her parents thing than hers. But then the, the newer movie I found really highlighted where she, she came from with that. So yeah, so that's why for both of those, I think they're as good as the book. Cause the book 
it takes forever, in my opinion, to get to the action in the Book of Pet Cemetery, And I think mm-hmm. the movies help <laughs> cut that down a bit. Yeah, that's that's a really good point, actually, Danielle, because I really like the um, 80s adaptation of Pet Cemetery, and Pet Cemetery is one of, if not my absolute favorite Stephen King book. I love that book. And um, I did not like the more recent adaptation, but I really liked that you point out that the wife's story is better highlighted and, and better illustrated in the newer one because that's actually my favorite part of the book. That's the part that scares me the most is her experience with her sister. And I agree, they in the newer one, they do a really good job of that. I have not seen the new one, but I really liked the... Um older one hey everybody this is erica robin when i saw the call for this prompt go out i had three adaptations that came to mind immediately so i will try to keep this really quick Uh, the first one is a monster calls by patrick ness technically i think this one's labeled as a ya fantasy but when i read the book and watched the adaptation i was terrified (laughs) Uh, this is definitely real world horror and it is a story that I will absolutely never forget so right away this is one of the best adaptations I've ever seen I really loved the book and seeing it portrayed in a film was even more wonderful so I actually can't say which one I liked better the book or the movie in this case because they were both absolutely perfect the casting was spot on the actors all did such an incredible job Uh, There were so many times throughout the movie that I got chills. (laughs) Same like when you're reading the book with the illustrations and all that. It's the movie just really, really sucked you in and it is heartbreaking and terrifying. So that is my first pick. Uh, My second one is Bird Box, which of course is based on the book by Josh Mallerman. This adaptation, again, I just think was so good. I loved it. This is a book that I've reread a ton and I've listened to the audiobook a bunch because I just love the story and love how creepy thinking about being in that world would be. So this movie was a little bit different from the book. And maybe saying a little bit is <laughs> being generous. It, it, there were a lot of differences. But I think it really captured the overall tone and terror that Josh Mallerman had put into his book. And I really love how intense they made the movie. And of course, the cast here loved it. <laughs> I thought they were perfect. Every character that played their role was almost exactly how I pictured them in my head when I was reading the book. So now seeing the adaptation and then rereading is a lot of fun because now I'm picturing the characters doing more outside of what was portrayed in the movie. And then my last one is my favorite adaptation of all time, and it's the original Pet Cemetery, of course, based on the book by Stephen King. I <laughs> did not like the new one, so I will just put that one out there. I know that's been a hot debate, Um, but I think the original really captured the tone of the book in a perfect way, and it was so wonderfully done, and I really appreciated how closely it stuck to the book. The creepiness and the dread and all that began pretty much from scene one, and then just got deeper and deeper and deeper into those dark feelings up until the uh, explosive ending. (laughs) So I think, again, here, all of the characters were absolutely perfect for their roles, and I mean, Miko Hughes as Gage Creed. I don't think there is a more perfect casting for that out there possible. So that is my number one. Um, But I think all of these are really great. So already having some opposing opinions, (laughs) which we knew would happen. We knew this was going to (laughs) happen. And it's not the last. Bird Box was a great adaptation. 
of the movie because I read the book first and watched the movie and like I knew it was happening and throughout the whole movie I was just like a anxious ball of nerves waiting for it I'm like I know what's going to happen but here I am (laughs) that's how I felt watching the ruins because I had to rewatch I rewatched it a few days ago and I was like I have read the book and watched this movie before (laughs) and I am like stressed out My second pick for this category is the 1975 adaptation of The Stepford Wives, directed by Brian Forbes. I refuse to acknowledge any other adaptations of this film, or of this book, sorry. Um, and, <laughs> I, I, and I love this movie, and I love the book. Um, the movie's based on a 1972 novel by Ira Levin, who also wrote Rosemary's Baby. And um, unlike with scary stories... This adaptation is very close to the source material, which I think was the right move here because, well, I mean, I love the book. Some people might not like the book, but like, I loved the book. I thought it was concise. It's short. It's really good for source material. And um, they pretty much copied the book, you know, almost plot point for plot point in this adaptation. Um, And the adaptation also keeps the original message of the book, which I really appreciated. It's very sympathetic to the 1970s feminist causes that were really picking up at the time. And unfortunately, a lot of those are still relevant today, which is why I think that this book and this film still resonate so much with me. And the acting is great, and the subtle building of suspense is really wonderfully done in this adaptation. And the clothes are super fun. The 70s vibes are excellent. And it's just, it's a great film and a great book. And I think it's solid front to back. Oh, that is a perfect choice. That is one of my favorite movies. Yes. It's so good. (laughs) It's so good. It is. My mom came and visited me and I've talked about like us coming out of like fundamentalist Christianity, Mm -hmm. but I like watched it with her and just like the connections she was making and like, oh my God, this resonates with me so much. Mm, Yes. (laughs) That is such a good one. (laughs) I need to rewatch that. It's been a really long time. Yeah. Yeah. the, The modern movie was... Not great. It had like one twist, which is like something to think about, I guess. But that's like, I would say not worth the watch either. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. It had Nicole I, Kidman that, in it, didn't it? Yeah. And Matthew Broderick too, right? Mm. I think he's in it as well. I try not to think about it too much. So. <laughs> Although, is is Bette Midler also in it? Yeah. Yes. I think she's yeah. the best friend. Yeah. The cast is really good, but it it did not do the book justice. Oh, no. Hi, this is RT. I'm a Patreon member, and I encourage anyone listening to also be a Patreon member. So my favorite adaptation from book to movie is Gone Girl by Gillian Flynn. When the book first came out, I loved it, and I thought it was worthy of the hype it was getting. It was my favorite book of the year. The adaptation starring Ben Affleck and Rosamund Pike was just as good, and I credit that to the fact that Gillian Flynn herself had involvement in the production, either writing or co-writing the script, I believe. The book is about a woman who goes missing and her unsuspecting husband who looks more and more suspicious in the involvement of her disappearance. The book is told in alternating chapters between Amy's diary before she goes missing and her husband Nick's narration about navigating the role of desperate husband who just wants his missing wife to be found safe. I thought the movie stuck to the structure of the book really well and it also showed how exploitive the media can be in cases of missing persons and how anyone involved is plucked from obscurity and forced to play a certain role for the cameras. 
I remember when I first watched it in theaters, when the credits started rolling, a woman in front of me got up from her seat, looked at her friend, and said, I guess I need to start reading more books. I think that counts as a successful adaptation. Also, shout out to Gillian Flynn's other book, Sharp Objects, that was turned into a miniseries starring Amy Adams on HBO. Great actors and great acting. It was really well done. Thanks for listening to my opinion and take care. I wholeheartedly agree. Again, Mm -hmm. the David Fincher Gone Girl is top notch. So good. Absolutely. Top notch. It was cast Mm -hmm. so well. Yes. So well. Oh, absolutely. I feel like I say this every time we talk about Gone Girl, but I just love that in the book, when Nick is talking about himself, he talks about how he has like a very punchable face. I'm like <laughs> Ben Affleck. That's Ben it Affleck. Works. <laughs> it works. And seeing NPH in the part he played was also really interesting because, like Neil Patrick yeah. Harris, is Neil Patrick Harris, like exactly. And then it was such a twist. So good. Good one. Um. Well, my next one was mentioned right at the tail end <laughs> of that one, so I'm gonna wholeheartedly agree and say my next pick is the 2018 HBO miniseries adaptation of Sharp Objects. This was one of the best like transitions from book to like miniseries I have seen in a long time. I think it just nailed it on all the fronts. It nailed it on the murder mystery front. It nailed it on the small town murder. Everyone is suspicious, has something to hide. It nailed it on the family drama. It nailed it on like the mounting dread. As he said, the casting was amazing. Amy Adams was robbed of her Emmy. Um. <laughs> mm-hmm. Amen. Yes. I'm just kidding. I don't remember who won instead of her. I'm sure someone <laughs> great as well. Um, and like it put Eliza Scanlon on my radar. She was so good as yes. Camille's sister. Ugh, it was gorgeous, and I felt like a lot of it really nailed the like southern town vibe, and it's so good. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I totally agree. It also did um, disorientation really well Mm -hmm. because, you know, Amy Adams' character, she's drunk all the time or she's trying to dull her pain in one way or another using some form of, you know, like whether it be alcohol or just whatever she can get her hands on or her self-harm. And the way the cinematography was in that miniseries really kind of put that across to viewers, I thought. It was really creative and well done. I think so, too. And Amy Adams' performance and possibly, like, the way she was written in the adaptation, there was a lot of layers to Camille that I thought came out, even in the miniseries, that I was like, okay, that makes this part of the book make a little more sense now mm-hmm. that I see it. Yeah. And then um, Chris Messina as the detective. There was some changes that made him, like, a little more likable, <laughs> I think. <laughs> well, first of all, it's Chris, Chris Messina. Messina so. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> The reason I watched all of the Mindy Project. I'm just yes. kidding. I love Mindy Kaling. Mm. I watch mm-hmm. anything she does ever for all time. She deserved better <laughs> on that show. Anyways. <laughs> Seriously. Oh, but it was definitely a turn to see him in like this dark of a role. Mm-hmm. I really hadn't seen him do anything this dark. He's pretty terrifying in Birds of Prey as well. Oh. He completely transforms yes. in that role. Mm-hmm. Hey, this is RT. I'm a relatively new listener. I found the podcast a few months ago, but I've listened to all the episodes and I'm a Patreon member. 
So thank you so much for your work and your recommendations. It's helping me expand my reading into a really, really fun genre. An adaptation that I really enjoyed in the past year or so is a television adaptation of You by Carolyn Kepnes. It's a story about a hopeless romantic whose main flaw is that he loves too much and is unafraid to prove it. However, he does this by stalking, manipulation, lying, and murder. The adaptation of the book into the TV series was done really well. The writing and Penn Badgley's performance on the show have caused quite a few think pieces to be written about how this show can make people sympathetic or even have a crush on Joe, who is scary, dangerous, and abusive. You're not supposed to like Joe, but sometimes you can't help but love him. It's a really fun show to watch. Season 1 and Season 2 followed the main plot points for the first and second book in the series, and the third book just came out, and I believe the third season is also filming. I can't wait for it to come back. I also want to note that I listened to these books on audio, narrated by actor Santino Fontana. He has a really great voice for the narration, and I highly recommend listening to the books instead of reading them, if you enjoy audiobooks. Hey, thanks for listening to my opinion, and take care. I'm going to have to agree with that. I loved you, and I also really loved the Netflix adaptation. Yes. I haven't read the books yet, although I will, and I will take his advice and listen to the audiobooks, but I really love the show. It's it's a lot of fun. It is. As weird as that might be to say. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Penn Badgley does a great job as Joe. I also like that he had to, like, tweet, like, he's not someone you're supposed to like. <laughs> Did either of you watch Gossip Girl? Yes. yes. Oh, okay. Yes. Because when they announced the casting for it, I'm like, okay, yeah. That <laughs> XOXO. Makes perfect sense. Yes. Yep. Right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, especially since he spends like the whole first season like pining after Blake Lively, and I'm like, yeah, that that makes sense. The like mm-hmm. try hard, hopeless romantic in New York. <laughs> Yeah, in the book, like, Joe's snarkiness is what endeared me to him. Like, just, like, really snarky comments he would say about people. And I'm like, you're funny. (laughs) Absolutely. And you are scary. And I shouldn't like you. (laughs) You'd probably kill me. (laughs) Hello, I'm Kristen. And I'm her little brother, William. And we are the co-hosts of Guide to the Unknown, a show about the paranormal and pop culture. Yeah, and uh, uh, movie adaptations of horror novels or horror movie adaptations of books. Right. William Go. what are some of your favorites? My, some of my favorites right off the bat. I'm not saying this only because we discussed this with Stephanie on a show already, but Psycho. I love yeah. the book Psycho, which I think a lot of people don't realize exists because mm-hmm. the Hitchcock version is so iconic. But, yeah, it uh, kind of takes over the whole thing. It does. It sort of like wipes the slate clean and, and makes it the only psycho you need in your life. Except that when you actually pick up the book, you realize that it's kind of different from the movie. And there are things that are conveyed in the book that you couldn't really do in film uh, super effectively. Like Norman Bates is reading a book about mummification when we right. meet him and how um, some people would mummify bodies to be used as musical instruments. And so sound is coming out of the dead person's mouth. Somebody living is making sound come out of the mouth of a dead person. And obviously that has metaphorical ramifications for the rest of the book. Um, totally. And there's a lot of his inner mo- monologue that goes beyond why I wouldn't hurt a fly. Yeah. A thousand percent. So yes, yeah, psycho, psycho for me. How about, uh, yes. how about you? Okay, I mean, it's very obvious, so I don't even know how far we should go into it, but The Shining, duh. Yeah, yeah. 
funny enough, uh, probably the property I got the most differing opinions on was The Shining. And we had one part of an Instagram comment because it was like a continuation from another topic we will get to later. Mm -hmm. But um, from at Lisa Pass says, The Mist is a brilliant novella and movie. Talk about gut punch endings and they're both different. Yes, I actually just rewatched the Mist adaptation because I was thinking about using it for this episode. But um, the ending of the film is wow brutal like wow and i i had forgotten that it ended like that and i i don't know man i think i prefer the the novella ending to the film adaptation but i thought the film you know it's wonderfully acted it's it's a great movie but wow that ending uh, i know what the ending is and that was the reason i didn't read the book for a long time because i was like i can't i can't handle that i can't do this today thank you so much like not <laughs> not gonna take this journey <laughs> <laughs> but i might read it now that i know that the book ending is not quite as brutal and bleak yeah so. yeah it's different all right well should we move on to the book was better or the movie was not as good so I have very strong feelings on this one that the book was way better. And that is for I'm thinking of ending things. The Charlie Kaufman Ooh. adaptation on Netflix. I gotta agree. <laughs> <laughs> when I watched it, there was a lot of tweeting happening by me be like, what did they do to this book? And what made it even worse for me is that Ian Reed had a part, like worked on the screenplay on the movie. And I'm like, why would you do that to your own book? Anyways. I did not realize that. Yeah. So... Obviously, without spoiling, I like the first part of the movie. I think it got the vibe of the book really well. That kind of, like, close close quarters, two people, you know, going to meet the family. But, like, it's kind of tense and weird. I think the movie did a great job with that. Like, it set it up really well. The casting was really good. Tony Collette, I mean, is great in anything. Um, mm-hmm. And then the last, like, half an hour happened of that movie. And... I I was so mad. Like, he went so, I want to say almost meta with it, mm-hmm. that it doesn't even, like, unless you've read the book, I honestly think it'd be almost, not hard to understand what happened, but you'd be kind of left with, like, a, what did I just watch? Like, what's... I still felt that yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, movie. I was, yeah, I convinced my husband to watch something and he doesn't do horror and i I apologize at the end of the movie i'm like you can pick the next like three movies we watch because that was terrible and i just i love the book i read it shortly after it came out and it's still in like my top probably 10 favorite thriller horror books Mm -hmm. it was different and it took me by surprise and i just i recommend it to almost anybody if they like anything dark and yeah this movie just came out and i haven't seen i know the director did the eternal sunshine of the spotless mind movie i've never seen it but i know from what i've read that he does those kind of more weird out there movies which awesome but this one i just don't think it did service to this book i think it it did a huge disservice to this book by taking that ending and making it what it was (laughs) yeah i mean i was looking forward to seeing the ending of the book 
actualized on the screen yes. because it is pretty bonkers. It is a wild ending and it kind of blew me away. And I was really looking forward to that. And then I was just, I was disappointed because that's not what you get. And then I was befuddled because I was again confused in a different yeah. way by this, this property. Yes, it was, <laughs> the ending was so, and like, it's not like it's the only ending to end like that in the book, in a book ever, but it was so well done in the book and it was so like, Yes, you can see throughout the book once you know, like it let it begs you to reread the book to catch those hints. But the movie, like, just there's nothing that would have from that movie that would have told you how that was going to end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking as someone who did not hate it, <laughs> I didn't love it. Like, I still like you watched the ending and was like, okay, that was a choice. <laughs> But I think I enjoyed the rest of it so much that I'm like, okay, well, like the ending was like Mm -hmm. a small part out of my enjoyment. And as a big fan of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, Mm. I knew Charlie Kaufman's style going into this. And I was like, this is going to be weird. This is Mm going to be weird and visually crazy. And it's going to have very interesting like visual transitions. And I was not let down on that end. I will say, yeah, the book, it... It very much stripped it of the like horror element of the ending. The ending mm-hmm. has like a very tense, everything is mounting, everything is coming to a big climax. And the movie went a totally different <laughs> direction from that. And I don't think you can understand this movie without reading the book, honestly. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. it's impossible. Because mm-hmm. my husband asked Agreed. me, he's like, didn't you say this happened in the book? I'm like, yep. He's like, but I'm like, yep, I, I know. It's, it's not there. <laughs> <laughs> but like I said the first part of it was really good like their chemistry and then when they meet his parents Tony Collette and I, I can't remember the actor's name who plays the dad um oh I don't know, I know he, he was in Harry Potter <laughs> um I think that was really good like I really enjoyed mm-hmm. that part of the movie and stuff but yeah it's just it, that last half hour just wrecked it too much for me my first pick for this section <laughs> is it, it might be a bit of a hot take so strap in it's the 1986 adaptation of the fly directed by david cronenberg okay okay we're getting there. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so i do want to make clear that i do enjoy this movie i think the effects are incredible the acting is phenomenal it stars pittsburgh hometown hero jeff goldblum who you know those of us here in the Berg, love. (laughs) Um, But it's an adaptation of a short story also titled The Fly by George Langolin. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, which was first published in Playboy in 1957. And the basic details are the same between the short story and the film. There's a scientist working on new technology to transport matter from point A to point B, and things go wrong. But everything else about the short story is thrown out for the film and replaced with a very 1980s plot. And that's fine, except the cultural amorality of the 80s really seeps in to this movie. And the short story actually has a strong message about emerging technologies and how just because we can do something doesn't mean we should do it. And that message is not in the adaptation really at all. And instead, the film's plot actually feels like really chaotic to me and kind of vapid. Like it's kind of all over the place. And it just like it doesn't really do it for me after reading the short story. So, you know, there's some really 
fun parts of the adaptation. Um, like I said, the effects are just absolutely phenomenal. I, the cast is great. But compared to the short story, it feels kind of soulless. So that's why that's why I put it on this this portion of the list. See. At least Jeff Goldblum learned that lesson for another adaptation yes. he was in later. Yes. Yes, he did. He certainly <laughs> and did. He tr- which he tried so hard to convince everyone else to. <laughs> he was trying to redeem himself. Right? They just didn't. They didn't listen. Oh man. So I honestly had a really hard time coming up with. Um, answers for these because i feel like i just don't finish movies i don't like so these are well this the one i'm gonna say is not even a movie that i hated it was actually even a chilling obsession at the time i did state my issues with it at the time (laughs) (laughs) but it is 2018's it chapter two Mm -hmm. i will say bill Hader is bringing his a game Mm -hmm. i was like a lot of the cast are um but there was just a lot of things that i don't think worked and my biggest problem is much like the book this ending Mm -hmm. was ridiculous and they have the audacity to even bring in mr stephen king himself to talk about how crappy the book ending is and i'm like okay if it's if you're gonna act like it's a joke that we're all in on you need to land this ending (laughs) yes Yes. yeah yes and yeah they didn't but no they didn't they they didn't and the character motivations were weird like this weird ritual element they added was so confusing and it just I just felt like it didn't work and I was in the theater like I'm sorry is this what I'm watching right now is this what is happening right now this is someone wake me up this is not (laughs) what I paid for yeah I was you know again also in the theaters and I was just like uh, is this a joke? Because they're just like yelling at this supernatural being about like, don't be a bully. Yeah. I'm like, this is supposed to, this is supposed to fix this? Like, I don't know. <laughs> at one point they say like, you're a clown. I'm like, oh, what is this? <laughs> I mean, yeah, kind of. <laughs> so I haven't read the book yet. Um. So, but even without. Prepare to block off like two years of your life to read the book. I know. That's literally how long it took. It's me been on my shelf for years. But, like, even without having read the book, the second part, I was, like, at the end, I'm, like, what? They're just, like, being, like, 14-year-old bullies in a schoolyard insulting yeah. him until he goes away? Like, yeah. Was, the first part I thought was good. And uh, Bill Scar- No, not Bill Skarsgård. The one who plays It. Yeah. Yeah. He mm-hmm. did phenomenal yeah. in that yes. part. Agreed. Kind of thing. Like, mm-hmm. said, the cast is really good. But, yeah, that ending, I was, like, okay, that's interesting to go that route okay cool 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 cool. yeah there was a few choices i wasn't a fan of but uh i loved um so many of the grown-up losers club like i loved eddie and i loved um richie and i feel like they maybe won the movie for me like that's the reason Mm -hmm. i don't not like this movie is i'm like no because they were in it yes and therefore it's good (laughs) therefore it has a lot of stars it has a lot of redeeming qualities that's that is absolutely true as for films that kind of missed the mark, um, I would have to say Annihilation, based on the book by Jeff Vandermeer. I was so excited when I heard that this film was coming out, and I rushed to go see it. 
while I think the film was really, really beautiful, I, I love everything that they did with the visual effects. I loved the casting. I thought the whole cast was absolutely wonderful. But I don't think they captured the tone of the book very well at all. I think they totally missed the mark on the creep factor. Because when I was reading the book, there were so many scenes where I was really nervous for the characters or really anxious for what was going to happen next. There were a few scenes that I actually got really claustrophobic while reading. And in the movie, I didn't have any of that. So that was a major bummer for me. I know a lot of people did like this movie, so I'm curious to see if this pops up on your list for people that liked the adaptation. But yeah, for me, it was just a a total miss. And it was one of those movies where when it ended, I just kind of sat there and looked at my husband and he was just like, well, that was a movie we just watched (laughs) and we couldn't really come up with much nice to say about it other than it was pretty and the cast ruled. I saw Annihilation before I read the book and I absolutely loved it. And then I read the book and I absolutely loved the book. (laughs) And I just, I love them both so much. But I do get what she's saying. There is some significant tonal differences. And I could see how um, if you really are attached to the book, that how that would disappoint you. Yeah. I really like Alex Garland as a director like I love Mm -hmm. Ex Machina Mm -hmm. Uh, yes Mm -hmm. uh, so going into this I think maybe again maybe I knew more like what his style was and what he was bringing into it so I also really liked it Um, I watched it probably not the ideal situation I watched it on my phone on a plane (laughs) (laughs) you know as it was meant to be of course oh yes (laughs) (laughs) But there were scary scenes where I was like, I have nowhere to hide. I have yeah. nowhere to go. <laughs> I'm stuck on a plane. Like, I'm like, I don't, I don't know where to go. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I loved um, the casting. And uh, we will hear from someone later who might put this in a different category. Ooh. Yeah, this is super fun. So my second pick for was way worse than the book. Um, was the 1999 version of The Haunting with Liam Neeson and Catherine Zeta-Jones and mm-hmm. Owen Wilson. Um, it was just bad. Um, oh, so, yeah. again, I have to preface it with, I wasn't the biggest fan of the book. I'm not huge into older gothic horror books in general. I just, the pacing's always off for me. Um, but I love the idea of the book like what it like the story I, I liked it just the pacing was off for me but this movie I I, I don't know if they'd read the book um at all <laughs> um it started off like when I because I rewatched it because I watched it when it first came out as but I was like by the time I watched it I was probably like maybe 11 or 12 so as a preteen I was like cool movie awesome right um, and then I read the book and I watched it again and no no um it started off started off okay you know the premise is cool um same very close to the book with people being invited to this house to but under false pretenses kind of thing and the first little bit I was like okay I thought Catherine Zeta Jones did great as Theo I'm like okay I can kind and then and then the supernatural stuff started happening but they went so overboard with the like 90s mm-hmm. CGI it just it just nosedives so quickly to the finale that I turned it off. I'm like, that was such a waste of time. It just, it wasn't good. And like a good cast couldn't save it. 
Um, and I think it went cheesy in the wrong direction, not like we're going to make like a cheesy horror movie and like kind of laugh at it being cheesy, but in a good way. This was just like, we're trying to be serious, but we're not. Um, yeah, the, the effects were just bad. The storyline ended. I was like, okay, sure. Um, and it just, it didn't, other than that first initial setup, I, I don't think it really did justice to the book at all. I wholeheartedly <laughs> agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I same. had the same experience as you where I watched it as like a preteen and I was like, oh, that movie was scary. Someone yeah. gets like their eyes snapped by like a piano chord. Yeah. <laughs> Owen Wilson gets decapitated yes. by a lion's head. That- <laughs> These are the only memories I retained and right? I'm like, aha, good movie. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> and then I rewatched it and I was like, oh no. Oh no, 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 yeah. no. This is yeah. bad. Yeah. Yeah, I had the same experience as both of you. It was like a mainstay movie at sleepovers mm-hmm. when I was like a preteen. Yeah. And yeah, I rewatched it again for the first time in a really long time a few years ago. I think when the show came out, I was kind of re-consuming all of that, all of the um, Hill House stuff. And wow, 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 it is nonsense. And I'm pretty sure I also, was it preteen watched the, was it The House on Haunted Hill? Mm, that came yes, out? I love that was a that good one. movie, I hope. I haven't rewatched it in a while. And I think, yeah, they just kind of like conflated together in my mind, but definitely not the same. Not the same. Mm-hmm. My second pick for this category. So if my first pick was a hot take, this one is like a petty pick and it might mostly be driven by personal feelings. I'm all in so, for this. All in. Yeah. Keep, keep that in mind. Um, it is the 1981 adaptation of Ghost Story, directed by John Irving and based on the novel written by Peter Straub, which was published in 1979. And um, honestly, this novel would be tricky to adapt. It seems like one that would be a challenge. It's a complicated, nonlinear narrative structure, and it's a pretty long book. It's, I think, over 500 yeah. pages. So I... I will give this adaptation that. I will give it a little bit of grace. Um, But it just, it did not do the book justice in a lot of ways. It's an interesting movie. It's Fred Astaire's last film role, which I think is kind of interesting. And it does have a really great cast. But like a lot of the movies we've mentioned, the cast just couldn't save it. It just did not bring the life to the adaptation that it needed. Um, So this story, it follows a group of older men who I'm going to say witnessed a tragedy to try to like keep the spoilerage low um, when they were younger. And now they're haunted by that event. And as a coping mechanism, they tell each other, they'll get together and they'll tell each other ghost stories. But soon it becomes clear that the truth from their past is just not going to let them get away without consequences and they're going to have to do something about it. And that's a very simplified synopsis of this story. And it it really, it gets kind of complicated with how they weave all of these elements together. So the petty reason why I don't like this adaptation <laughs> is because the book takes place in the southern tier region of upstate New York, which is pretty much where I grew up. I grew up in that area and I spent most of my life there. And the book does a really good job of depicting how eerie and strange that area is. That's where Binghamton is. And that's where a lot of the Twilight Zone episodes take place. And that's where Rod Serling lived and worked. So there's like a history of creepy stuff that happens and uh, creepy stories that are told. 
for the adaptation, they take it out of the Southern Tier region and put it in some nondescript New England town. So I don't get to geek out over all of my, you know, like regional content that I want. Um, so that that upsets me, but probably just me. <laughs> so <laughs> the real reason why this adaptation bums me out is because it really just falls short of the novel. It doesn't have the energy or the complexity of the book, and the main characters are kind of depicted as like bumbling old farts in the film, and they're not like that in the book at all. They have a lot of agency, and the scare factor is massively decreased in the film. This book is pretty scary. Like There were moments in it that I was like absolutely terrified on the bus on the way to work, and I'm like listening to it. I'm like, oh my god, um, but it's just not there in the in the film at all. So I feel like the adaptation just doesn't hit that atmosphere in any way. I would love to see somebody take another crack mm -hmm. at Ghost Story. And maybe maybe a miniseries would be a better way to do this since it is such a long and complicated book. Um, but yeah, I would really like to see it done again. That is a, I was waiting for you to say that you had beef with like a producer, with like an actor. <laughs> yes, Fred Astaire. I have beef with Fred Astaire. <laughs> Absolutely. Like that's why he never worked again. <laughs> yeah, I made sure of it. <laughs> oh, man. My last pick um, was the like anthology movie adaptation of the Books of Blood that dropped on Hulu mm -hmm. like a year or two ago. I just like visually I just checked out of this movie immediately I don't even know how it why it got the name like Clive Barker is a producer on it if you have read the books of blood it doesn't matter because it has nothing in common with any of the books of blood <laughs> other than like the one story at the beginning that kind of is the reason it's called the books of blood and then it was just very different very tame boring stories and I was like <laughs> that what is this and there was a letterboxd review because I was angrily looking at letterboxd like am I going crazy am I taking like what am I watching <laughs> and there was a letterboxd <laughs> review that said not nearly bloody or horny enough to be a Clive Barker Ooh, adaptation amen. And, I'm like, <laughs> amen and I'm like that's what it is <laughs> mm-hmm uh, there's just like a certain feeling like there was one time I was watching Hellraiser because I love Hellraiser mm -hmm. and I was watching it by myself with a glass of wine and of course. there's the scene where the husband is like moving the couch up the stairs and he like hits his hand on the nail and it starts like bleeding and it starts like cutting back and forth and I had my glass of wine I was talking to no one and I'm like whoever directed this just really gets Clive Barker's whole thing. <laughs> Yes. me not thinking that this is directed by Clive Barker <laughs> right exactly <laughs> he sure nailed Clive Barker well didn't he got into his head. Like, he just really gets it he gets it whoever this guy is really gets they're it they're like the same guy it's amazing <laughs> this movie did not <laughs> Yeah, I haven't read Books of Blood, but I did watch that adaptation. And knowing what I do know about Clive Barker, it didn't feel right. Oh. But Stephanie also asked us to address some of our least favorite 
um, book two movie adaptations. And so I feel that I have to mention the Shining miniseries, which aired on ABC in the 90s as a least favorite. Now, have you seen that in full? Yeah, that thing's a bummer, man. (laughs) Why is it a bummer? (laughs) Because you just feel terrible for poor little Danny at every turn. Like, Jack, I don't know. I feel like it's even more emphasized how, um, like, abusive Jack has been slash is when the hotel gets to him. Like, there's a lot of fighting between him and Wendy in front of Danny where he's like, stop it, stop it, stop it. Oh. It becomes a horror movie in a different way. And um, even though Stephen King, who obviously wrote The Shining, was a much bigger fan of the miniseries than he was of the movie, uh, I can't say I share the same opinion. Yeah, I guess he was going for accuracy to the book yes. pri- primarily, right? Mm-hmm. He also yeah. wrote new stuff for the miniseries, like um, how Danny and uh, Jack have a little phrase now between them, which is kissing, kissing. That's what I've been missing. Oh, my. So that's pretty great. <laughs> um, not Nowhere to be found in the book, sadly. No, believe it or not, um, there's also a part at the end of the miniseries where we flash forward to Danny graduating from high school and um, we see like a ghost Jack kind of coming to him and we realize that grown up Danny is really the spitting image of Tony, the little boy who had lived in his mouth, because in the miniseries, Tony is like a teenager who kind of looks like a young george costanza what (laughs) kind of yeah he has like round glasses and he just has a a vibe but not as cool not nowhere near as cool as george costanza no lacking the charisma wow you've got a real future ahead of you dan torrance yeah (laughs) so it's just it's not great (laughs) all right well hey there's there's one good one and one Mm. real bad one Right, exactly. So it it's balanced. The world needs it. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, I have From what I remember. I have another one that's sort of an odd duck. Uh, one of the strangest horror adaptations imaginable, World War Z, which was oh. written by uh, Max Brooks, the son of Mel Brooks, and mm-hmm. was a sort of dry, um, almost pseudo historical document about a zombie apocalypse, all conducted through interviews. If you get the audiobook, you're going to hear like Carl Reiner doing characters. And that was adapted into a huge budget Brad Pitt action horror movie. Right. Which is so unusual. And yet, despite how weird that is, I sort of begrudgingly uh, enjoyed the movie, I think. Oh, I never saw it. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's kind of fun to see Brad Pitt in a monster movie, though. You know, I, mm-hmm. I guess, you know. I guess you've got an uh, uh, interview with the vampire, which is another adaptation, actually. But True. like, it's just fun to see him fight zombies, but yeah. it's so dialed up. It's like a Michael Bay zombie movie. It's so weird. I know. I think that's why I didn't see it, because I remember it and I know about it. But even though it was zombie stuff, it registered to me more as an action movie than like a horror movie sort of thing that I'd be into. Completely. Yeah. And I think that's that is what it is. I mean, you're not going to be shocked if you were to watch it. That what you thought it is is exactly what it is. Um, Almost like I Am Legend. Another Mm -hmm. adaptation (laughs) where Will Smith is uh, fighting against vampire zombie things yeah. but it turns into gi- just giant special effects instead of 
you know, tension right. and and creepiness. And you think of the idea of, and this is something that that books can really convey, I think, in a way that movies, when they do it, it comes across as too expository, is talking about the fact that these are dead bodies right. that are coming back to life or coming back to something like life reanimated mm-hmm. right reanimated doesn't mean alive it means you're moving and yet you probably shouldn't be like yeah. and, and so the idea of of corpses that are rotting and then getting up and chasing after you i feel like in a book can really make your skin crawl and the way mm-hmm. these movies did it it's like you can't even one of these would be terrifying but they turned it into this like blob horde that's running at you and your eyes can't even focus on them. They don't really read as human or formally. Yeah. Human. Yeah. Yeah. You can't like differentiate them as individuals. Exactly. And think about how fun it is when you watch something like night of the living dead or, or dawn of the dead and, or day of the dead. And you start to recognize particular zombies mm-hmm. and, and you can be like, Ooh, that was my, that one used to be my friend. Right. Oh God. But then you think of something like I am legend and everybody, when you become a zombie or whatever, you lose all of your hair. Yeah. And you start an to anonymous zombie. You just start to look like everybody else around you, which is weird. Right. It was very weird. Right. Yeah. So, Hey, thank you so much for having us. Uh, yeah. Those are some of our uh, favorite, least favorite or curiosity piece, horror totally. book adaptations. That's right. Thank you, Stephanie. Yeah. Thank you. See you on guide to the unknown. Yeah. I don't know why I was really waiting for Will to say reanimator, also an adaptation. Um, But anyway, thank you so much, Kristen and Will, for sending in some audio. I knew you would be a really fun addition to this episode. So thank you. Uh, So I have a few comments here. One from at Justice of the Peach, all caps, the dark tower all day, every day, LOL. (laughs) Having not read The Dark Tower, but knowing how the fan base felt about it, um, I understand. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry you didn't get a good one. I think it would have been a perfectly good movie if it wasn't an adaptation of something. Mm -hmm. Kind of thing. Like, it it was okay. Watched it for free on streaming one night. But, yeah, not not great. Yeah, I I can confirm that it's not a good adaptation. (laughs) But a fun standalone movie on its own yeah. definitely another comment uh from at lisa pass the king adaptation of my number one not adapted well titles the shining one of my all-time favorite novels and kubrick just got it wrong also disappointed in shutter island it's got the most obvious editing out there <laughs> wow what a slam to that editor yeah very specific <laughs> slam too I know. <laughs> well, it was a very, it was a long comment. I condensed it, but she was talking about how um, you can get the twist, like, by just by watching the trailer. Yes. And I think, like, if you know it, yeah, it's going to stick out to you. I have not read Shutter Island, so I can't speak I had to that. I'd only um, seen the movie. Yeah. Um, but it's funny, because The Shining, I had a lot of people message saying, like, the book was better, Cooper got it wrong, um, and then I had people were like, oh, for movie was better obviously the shining (laughs) interesting it's interesting to see such a split uh yeah that's like a big a big uh split in the king fandom because i think you just have Mm -hmm. to understand like it's a different take on it it definitely misses a lot of the stuff from the novel and a lot of the points and the backstories and the character arcs but i just think of it as like it's telling a very different story (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a different entity. Yeah. You have to separate them. It's like, yeah. um, not influenced by, but uh, now I can't think of the word when it's like, based, not based inspired on. Inspired by? Yeah, thank you. Inspired by. Loosely. Okay. And moving on to our <laughs> final category. The movie was better. This is the most exciting category, in my opinion, but I think it was the hardest. This was the easiest one for me. But I also went with TV shows, adaptations versus movies. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Since Danielle, you want to go first. So my first pick for this is the Netflix Haunting of Hill House series. Um, Mm -hmm. So. Jackson is. (laughs) I know. So like I said, I'm not the biggest gothic horror reader, especially older ones. I have issues with the pacing and, and things like that. And. The book, while I can understand why it's so popular and loved and whatnot, it just didn't do it for me. It's, I, I needed more showing less, more like showing of the supernatural aspect of it versus was it all in like Nell's, Eleanor's head or not. Um, So I think uh, Mike Flanagan, who did the Haunting Hill House for Netflix, did a phenomenal job of taking the heart of the story, like the people in this house are they being possessed by the house is it in their minds what happened was there but he fleshed it out in such a way that he gave all the characters like the characters had such deep backstories in it that when the supernatural part starts to happen you're not questioning as much in the book as you did in the book but it's not not in a bad way it's not necessarily a bad thing that you're not sure is that you know there is something more going on but you're watching these characters come to terms with that fact. And I think is one of the big thing. And then the casting, I think, was so spot on for this movie or for the show. And I also feel like the way they worked in the characters from the, the novel was really, really good. Um, and how they play were like the fact that like Theo in the show and in the novel both have this that kind of like a psychic ability Um, And Eleanor in both the show and the novel were is more susceptible to everything kind of like she's had a rougher go at it and stuff like that. I liked how like Hugh Crane in the novel was the person who create who built the house years ago. But in this one, he's like, he's flipping the house. There's just so many little details like that that paid homage to it, that I think the changes made were good. Um, And it's also it's a gut gut punch of a show to me. Like I I rewatched it like in preparation for this and there's I think at least two episodes that I end up like ugly crying by myself on the couch watching because I just absolutely I just can't <laughs> with the feelings and oh, and God. like a horror doesn't often do that to me like visual like watching a movie and stuff and so to do that I think was good and just the the scoring the soundtrack for the for because Mike Flanagan works with um the Newton brothers I believe is and they've done um, both his haunting shows, um, Doctor Sleep, Before I Wake. I don't know if they, I don't think they did Oculus, um, but they've done a lot of work with him. And I feel like they work together so well that their music adds such a depth to the show that it, I think it'd be very different with a different thing. And like the, I don't know, it's just, it's one of my favorite shows I've seen in years. Um, it's haunting. It's just scary enough. It jump scares get me. So there's definitely a few things that the first time I watched it, I watched it with my, my hands over my eyes half the time. So it's nice to revisit it with knowing what was coming that way. And it's just, it's I don't know, so well done. The cinematography is great. They created a gothic haunting atmosphere 
but pulled the story into modern times by mixing it in with a lot of more I don't say current issues because there were issues back in the day too but like there's there's a lot of talk of mental illness and addiction and family and all that stuff in the show and just yeah it takes the heart of the book and just expands it into this like amazing show that I can't speak highly enough of so that is my first pick <laughs> yeah I agree that show is phenomenal and I actually really love the haunting of hill mm-hmm. house the book and I just felt like it it did the book it did the book good mm-hmm. you know it did the book right it really honored all of the points that um are touched on in the book and expanded them and yeah I mean talk about ugly crying like oh. wow <laughs> oh I know same here and as someone who loves the haunting of hill house mm-hmm. book even though there were so many changes made like modernized oh, yeah. like the relationships of characters to each other like how the house comes into play i think the fact that the heart of it was still there is what made it work is mm-hmm. like mike flanagan i think has just like mastered the art of adapting a work mm-hmm. and getting like what the point is what the heart is of the story mm-hmm. and putting it on screen because oh. like gerald's game could have been um in my like as good as yeah yeah and, um, definitely later someone else says that dr sleep mm-hmm. is better mm-hmm. better than the book it's so. mike flanagan's mm-hmm. amazing at emotional horror i find yes i agree yeah. um mm-hmm. and he's doing some christopher pike adaptation uh the midnight Club. oh that's exciting yeah yeah and it's yeah his i'll watch anything he doesn't yeah this one is just so good mm-hmm. okay my first pick for better than the book is also in that gothic literature vein. It's the nineteen. It's nineteen sixty one's The Innocence, directed by Jack Clayton, and it's an adaptation of The Turn of the Screw by Henry James, which was written in eighteen ninety eight. And Danielle, like you said, sometimes gothic literature, the pacing just doesn't hit right. It just it's kind of falls flat. It doesn't feel fulfilling. Mm-hmm. I really felt that way about The Turn of the Screw. It didn't really work for me. And I read a lot of 19th century Gothic literature. I enjoy it. And this one just didn't really, didn't really click. The novella does not handle the emotional highs and lows of the characters very well. And James does not really build any kind of suspense throughout the plot, which I think is a huge missed opportunity because the actual story is great, which is why I think we see a lot of adaptations. Speaking of Mike Flanagan, yes. The Haunting of Bly Manor, which I thought was a really creative approach yeah. to this story. So but James just kind of, you know, he comes up with this great idea. And then whether it's whether it's how he approached it, whether it was the style of the writing at the time, it just never really fit its full potential, in my opinion. But 1961's The Innocence was able to do that. So a lot of those moments, those big moments in the plot of the novella that just kind of fell flat, that were just kind of like blah to me, they actually had weight in this movie. They were um, given the significance that they deserved. And the movie was pretty creepy. I was not really creeped out by the, the novella at all, but the movie really did kind of freak me out, even for being, you know, a slightly older movie shot in black and white. It definitely got me at times and the performances were excellent. The beautiful, you know, like costumes and interior design of all sets, like everything was just like lovely and kind of decadent Mm -hmm. about this movie. And it really just kind of brought out all the best parts of the story and put it on the screen. So I definitely think that if you haven't read The Turn of the Screw, you should probably just skip it and just watch (laughs) either The Innocence or The Haunting of Bly Manor. I haven't read it, so I guess I'm going to have to take that advice. 
Yeah, don't don't waste your time. <laughs> so my pick is the 1999 adaptation of Richard Matheson's Stir of Echoes. Well, I think technically the movie is Stir of Echoes, and then the book is A Stir of Echoes, if we want to get <laughs> technical. <laughs> um, so I think this is a pretty underrated, kind of under-the-radar gem that people may have forgot about. But it's based on the... Richard Matheson short novel. And I think why this is a successful adaptation is for the same reason that my second pick is a successful adaptation is that it takes like a vague story that's kind of set in an any town USA and it really gives it a sense of place and it makes that place important to the story and it connects everything to like why people are doing that. So in the novel it's set in a mid-century LA suburb and the characters are working class but it's just kind of mentioned. Um, In the 90s movie they live in Chicago they're in a working class neighborhood in Chicago it's a very strong community like you can you constantly see them throughout the movie like going to block parties hanging out with people and you see like how much of a part of a community these people are Um, and in the story he um, his sister-in-law at a party hypnotizes him and it opens a door where he starts receiving psychic messages and in the book they're like all kinds of psychic messages and it kind of gets muddled and then he finds a there's a mystery that he gets involved in. And in the movie, it focuses it right away. Everything he is receiving is connected to this mystery that is connected to where he lives and his community. Like everything is tied together in a way that the book wasn't. Everything is much more focused and a lot of creepy visuals. Um, I rewatched this on Tubi. It totally holds up. And Kevin Bacon, like, digging shirtless in the backyard, I think really <laughs> adds a layer. Yes. Just really yes. added yes. something to, to it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I definitely recommend this over the book. Richard Matheson is very hit or miss for me. <laughs> I have never heard of this movie, and I've never read the book, and you just sold me, like, 1,000%. I am so excited to watch this now. I mean, also Kevin Bacon shirtless, but everything else <laughs> sounded really good, too, so I'm definitely going to watch it. So my second pick for this one is the HBO adaptation of Lovecraft Country, the book by Matt Ruff. Um, so I have to say, like, it's a very small margin of the show was better than the book, because I thought the book was really, really interesting. I love the concept of setting it during the Jim Crow era, which was a horror of its own, and then throwing in the Lovecraft aspect was great. But... What I didn't like about the book is, like, it's set up almost like a bunch of vignettes. Like, it's same characters tied together, but, like, it was very, like, you could tell this was the end of this vignette, this is the end of this one. Whereas the show, I found, weaved it together really, really well. Um, There was some pretty big changes, which most of them are spoilery, so I won't get into them. But I was totally cool with them i thought they added layer like the couple and there's a few changes you saw in the you see in the trailer where um a couple of the characters in the book that are men are women in the film the show adaptation and i think that was a really good choice because again it added on top of the issue the the race issues that the show and the book deal with it adds the gender issues as well of the of the time um and i thought it was really really good um, the casting for this show was amazing. Like, all of them were so well cast, but, like, the standout to me and my favorite 
character, my favorite actress in it was Journey Smollett as uh, Letty. She knocked it out of the park. And also the actress who played Ruby. They both just knocked it out of the park. Um, anytime they were on screen, it was just like you couldn't take your eyes off the screen. They did so well. And their storylines I really liked. Um, and and this show was originally written as a script for a TV show. I guess is how Matt Ruff wrote it. And it really shows yeah. because it adapts to visual medium really well. Um, and it's just so that like, to see the horrors I was talking about, again, either the Jim Crow horrors or the Lovecraft, to see it visual added a whole other layer. And then you also got the expanded character stories. So there's a whole episode on um, Atticus's time in the Korean War, which you don't get in the book. Um, you've And you just, yeah, I think they, they went into the character so much more, but it was tied together in a way that felt a lot more linear than the book. And I hope, I, I don't know if it's confirmed if there's a second season or not. I hope there is. Because um, I'd like to see where it goes. But just, yeah, the... And I I think Matt Ruff was involved with the adaptation. I'm not 100% sure. But um, I think what they did with it was... All the changes they made, I think, were for the better. So it just kind of enhanced it to a whole other level of... <laughs> Of book and I just I loved it. I thought it was so good. The music was good. The scoring was good. The visuals of it were just amazing. Like, and it's a heavy show. Like, it's not mm-hmm. a light show. And and a lot of that is again when they're touching on the Jim Crow and the race issues and what the horror that it it, it was in back then. Like, and it's to see it. It was hard. It was almost harder than to see the Lovecraft horror aspect of because it's a supernatural thing and you're like, okay, fine. And it did really well with body horror in a couple episodes. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's a great adaptation and I think it's well worth checking out, but the book's also really good too. Yeah, that was. Yeah, I completely agree. I love the book. I loved the show. It felt like the show just like enhanced everything in the book and the casting was absolutely phenomenal. The visuals were amazing. And I love I just love that we got to explore 1950s America in a different way than I think a lot of people kind of think of that time. And I especially appreciate um, the discussion of the Korean War because I feel like we don't really do that often. We don't really talk about it or think about it, at least our generation. Yeah, and that's the thing, like anytime, a lot of movies that take place in that era, they're always told from a white perspective, for the most part. I shouldn't say always, but that's Mm -hmm. what's been told most. And this, this isn't. It's told from african-american aspect and it's so good and it's so well done and it's it just yeah it really hits home but also like you get so invested in the characters because they're so well done that you're just like yeah it's just it's so good all put together and i i buddy read it with a friend and it was we had so much to talk about it it just it i buddy read it and we buddy watched it as well and it just it lends to a lot of conversations about um about those issues back there's a whole storyline um, without being too spoiler about the the differences that white women were treated versus black women were treated and that whole episode is probably my favorite of the series and yeah there's a scene in it that it's it's straight up horror and it is so good <laughs> so good <laughs> My last pick is the 2009 adaptation of Coraline, directed by Henry Selick. So I do love the book by Neil Gaiman, which came out in 2002. 
And, you know, both are amazing. And I love how the book is darker than the film. But the film adaptation just feels tighter to me and more consistent in tone. I have this problem with Gaiman sometimes. Like I had this problem with Stardust where I just feel like his tone is all over the place and it, I can't anchor myself in the story. And when I was reading Coraline, I was kind of getting a little bit of that. And I also felt like it kind of meandered and went on maybe a little bit longer than it had to, even though it's a very short book. And, you know, the movie took care of all of that. Um, it's less creepy, but it's still incredibly atmospheric and very stylized. I, I love the stylistic approach that was taken. And it really, it takes advantage of Gaiman's world building, which is awesome. And it just, it takes his work and how good he is at that. And it just brings it to a whole new level. But, you know, I still enjoy the book and I'll probably reread it. You know, it's not, doesn't take long to read, but the movie is a favorite of mine. And I just really think that um, it outshines the book a little bit. I fully agree with that. I actually just read the book for the first time last year, I think. Um, big fan of the movie. And yeah, I just, it's... The book, it takes a while to get there. And mm -hmm. I like it, but it takes a while where the movie kind of like, yeah, it's, it takes all the best of Gaiman and puts it into. Yeah. 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 Just pretty fun little package. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's also a little spooky. Yeah. <laughs> Visually amazing. Yes. Mm -hmm. His adaptations are, because I, I can't remember if he was involved in the Coraline adaptation or not. I think he was. His adaptations do, are fine, are very good when he's involved in them. Mm -hmm. That would make sense. My last pick um, is one I talked about in the previous episode, but I know not, not everyone listens to like every single episode as they come out, but it is uh, Lois Duncan's I Know What You Did Last Summer. Um, and for similar reasons as the Stir of Echoes, uh, Zena and I had a hard time like even nailing down where this is set. There's like random clues and we like, I guess somewhere in the Southwest, maybe Arizona, there's not a strong sense of place. Um, <laughs> But the movie sets it in North Carolina, gives it like this localized urban legend and kind of everything about it, it being like this fishing town really anchors, let's forgive the pun, anchors the story <laughs> in this place. And I think a different character changes also really helps the story because in the book, Barry is just to blame for everything. Like, Barry is the rich one. It was Barry's car. Barry was driving. Barry told them all not to tell. And it's like, just get rid of Barry. <laughs> Everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Solves the problem. Yeah. In the movie, it's a little more complicated. Like, it's Ray is the one driving because Barry was drunk. So it's like, and, you know, Ray's family doesn't come from money like Barry's does. So, like, Ray has more to lose. Like, it was a little more thought out and nuanced and with it being a slasher as opposed to like a very safe teen thriller where nobody dies like the stakes were higher because I mean people <laughs> die, die. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and as a viewer it's a lot more fun as a, a slasher especially one with like a hook-handed murder <laughs> um, the only thing it's a little more is sad in the book because they run over a little kid um, oh, as no. opposed to like a a grown man who ends up not to spoil i guess spoil i know what you did last summer who ends up being the hook-handed murderer <laughs> that's after them 
that's really interesting that the book doesn't really have a strong sense of place because I feel like in the movie, the fact that it's a coastal town is so yeah. important yes. and it, it lends so much to the story. It really makes it rich. Like I haven't seen it in forever, but like when I think of it, that's what stands out in my mind. I'm like, there's a fishing boat and you know, it's a fish town. Like that's what I think of first after, you know, hook handed man, of course, yeah. but you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we there's like little clues because like Ray goes to California, but then like Helen says like be careful of this southwest sun, and then someone's like going to the east coast for school. I'm like, are we in Arizona? Like, where are <laughs> you? Have to get out a compass, and you have to do like coordinates. Right. How far away from the east coast do you have to be to call it the east coast? Like, I right. <laughs> oh man. So I do have some comments for this. Mm -hmm. Uh, So first up, we have Darcy at stick figure underscore D said the ritual. I've read a couple Adam Neville books and I've always felt I'd enjoy them if they were a third shorter (laughs) film streamlined nicely. And I found the characters more sympathetic. Visuals were wonderful as well. Creature design, forest, convenience store, hybrid scenes. I did enjoy those scenes. I haven't read it, but that is what I have heard. (laughs) Um, also have Martin at Emnick 1982 said cycle of the werewolf slash silver bullet for sure. It's by Stephen King. I love silver bullet. Oh man, that movie's a romp. <laughs> um, and then Alex at finding underscore Montauk and Kelly at just another horror reader both said Jaws. Yes. Which I could see. I mean, it's a, a classic movie. I could see how that might not be as compelling. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's a slow start of a movie too. Like the movie has a slow, like a slower burn for me, anyways. When I rewatched it, so if the book is anything like that, it would be, yeah, tough. Mm-hmm. Hillary at Melted underscore Books said, "I like it." Twenty seventeen more than the book, so that's it. Chapter one. I will agree with that. I thought it chapter one was uh, really concise and kind of boiled down the the meat of it, the book, at least you know. If you're breaking it up in that yeah. way. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I'll totally agree with that. I loved it. Chapter mm-hmm. one. Like, mm-hmm. Absolutely loved so it well visually. It had the heart. The actors were amazing. Everyone is bringing their A game on that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then final ones from Mikey P. Jr. at Descent Pod, who says, Annihilation. <laughs> I felt more invested in the film characters versus the ones in the book. Oh, I love it. Which I will say in the movie they have names, and if you read, that's true. If you read the book, it is just like the biologist, the architect, mm-hmm. the psychologist, and so like you never get to know anyone, you never know anything about anyone, and like in the movie, women do like open up, like I lost my daughter, like that's why I'm here. Like mm-hmm. there's a little more of that. Okay, so those were our opinions. <laughs> This has been a we long a episode. <laughs> yes, we had so many opinions. So many. All right. So, what are some chilling obsessions? Uh, I guess okay. that you guys have had. All right. Can I squeeze in two? Can I do that? Sure. Okay. So, speaking of adaptations, um, I got hooked on the Exorcist TV show. Oh my and I think gosh, Rachel yes. had mentioned it way back when it actually aired. Um, and I know there's only two seasons. It makes me incredibly sad. But anyways, it's great. Um, it's not a direct adaptation, obviously, it's more inspired by, um, but I love it. The acting's good, the storylines are really good, um, it's just, it's fun. It's scary enough, because I, Possession's one of those 
horror things for me that's it's one thing I'm scared of call it my old school Catholic guilt or whatnot it just it gets me so it does well but because it was on I think it aired on Fox originally yeah it doesn't quite like the horror is still scary but I think there's it, there is a line where they don't it doesn't cross because of where how it aired but I love it I think it's fun um the stories are good the acting's good the the guy who plays the um, the younger priest he's he's really good I just I like all of it it's fun and then I also really like the book um speaking of sense of place children of Chicago by Cynthia Palaio I just finished and Chicago is a character in that book and it's so good oh yeah yeah absolutely that book's amazing so mine is so my brain is on overload these days so I'm not exploring too many things that are new so I'm actually just rewatching Buffy yes. and just loving it again and again. You know, it's giving me the comfort I need. And uh, so, yeah, that's basically been like my ritual. My wind down is just watch a couple episodes of Buffy. And and that's pretty much it. You know, like I, I'm not going to fix something that isn't broken. Buffy's great. <laughs> I've had times like that. Mm-hmm. Um. I recently watched a movie on Hulu from 2019 called Knives and Skin. It is like a small town murder mystery. Like a a girl is missing. Like we know that she died like right at the beginning. And then it, it kind of seems like it's a normal like we're going to look at this small town and all these families and everyone's kind of got a secret and something to hide. And I'm like, OK, like this is comfortable. Then it gets very surreal and very twin peaks-esque and just the way that everyone acts um it's very surreal there's a lot of like acapella singing moments so you're like it's like this weird musical surreal pastel colored noir small town <laughs> murder this sounds amazing <laughs> i figure out how to figure out where i can watch that in canada it is just well I watched it um because I listened to the this ends at prom podcast that's like all about teen girl movies and so they said like they were gonna do this movie that I had never heard of and I'm like oh it's on Hulu like I'll watch it so I can listen to the episode um and I was like I don't know what I'm watching but I'm very invested um (laughs) it's very reminiscent of like tonally of like assassination nation if you see that like it's very (laughs) very similar vibes but also like surreal (laughs) sounds great very stylistic i loved assassination nation yeah so Mm -hmm. good that so last thing as is books in the freezer tradition danielle and jocelyn what are your final girl songs (laughs) i I had this was so hard i had so much fun going through my music trying to figure out so my song that i picked is it's called Last Laugh by Fletcher. It was on the soundtrack for Promising Young Woman. Um, mm. And it's just, it's it's got that vibe of like the killer thinks he's got me and like I'm dead. But then like he turns around and like I come back and I'm really pissed off that he tried to kill me. And I just like get my revenge. <laughs> it's <laughs> oh, sounds so satisfying. It's upbeat. It's fun. It's yeah, it's great. It's my final girl song. Nice. I had a really hard time deciding the tone of the horror movie that I was going to be the final girl in. I didn't know if I was going to be in a horror comedy or if I was going to be in, like, a serious slasher. So I I had two that I was trying to pick between. And, I mean, at any given point in time, I could change 
I could change my answer to this. But I think to be true to myself, I would be in a horror comedy. So I I think my final girl song would be Bang on the Drum All Day by Todd Rundgren. <laughs> Okay. Because it's just nonsense. Like, it makes me feel like I'm in Shaun of the Dead, you know, where <laughs> it's time to take out some bad guys and we're going to have fun doing it. Nice. I love it. I will add those to the Spotify playlist. Danielle and Jocelyn, thank you so much for joining me for this. <laughs> thank you for having, for having us. us. This was such a blast. Oh, yeah, sure. Ex- where can people find you online? Um, I'm. Um, on Twitter, I'm at Sask underscore Frog. And on Instagram, I'm Books with Scrump. On Twitter, I'm Forgotten Corners Without Any Vowels. <laughs> so all consonants. You'll have to write it out and cross out the vowels and then type it in. And um, on Instagram, I'm at Forgotten Corners with all the letters. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Books in the Freezer is a bi-weekly podcast. We post episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us on Twitter at Books Freezer Pod, on Instagram at Books in the Freezer, or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Books in the Freezer. And you can send us an email at Books in the Freezer at gmail.com. If you would like to support the podcast, we are on Patreon at patreon.com slash books in the freezer. With a one, three, and a five dollar level, there's all kinds of perks that go along with that. On each level, you get like early episodes, group chats, movie nights, bonus episodes. So check that out if that's something you're interested in. Um, we also have an Amazon link if you would like to use that. That'll be in the show notes. You essentially click the link and just do your normal Amazon shopping that you would normally do. And then we get a very small percentage of that. So that helps the show. If you would like to support the show and not spend any money, that's also totally possible. Just spread the word about us. Post about us on social media. Leave a review on a site like Apple Podcasts. All those things are very big helps. I'm Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at Lady underscore Ganya. That's L-A-D-Y underscore G-A-G-N-O-N. Or on Instagram at That's What She Read. That's That's with two A's. So see you next time on Books in the Freezer. Thank you.